Psalm 33. And we'll read through some verses here and then pray and uh, see what the Lord has for us here. Psalm 33 and verse number 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto Him with psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto Him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all His works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of His heart to all generations. I want to focus your attention here on verse number 1 in Psalm 33. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Here the psalmist calls the righteous to rejoice in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says this, You hear him, the psalmist, you hear him often calling upon sea and land, upon earth and heaven, upon mountain and valley, upon plants and creeping things, upon living creatures, upon the heavens and the heavens that are above the heavens, to assist him in magnifying the name of the infinite Jehovah, whose praise still exceeds all the honor that can be given to him by his creatures. We serve a great God this morning. And the psalmist here, he says, Rejoice in the Lord, for praise is comely for the upright. Notice here, a lot of times we think of, of praise as singing, as just the singing part of it. But notice what he says here in the first few verses. Verse 2, Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto Him with psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto Him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. So we see that praise, from verse 1, it can be rejoicing. We see that it can be singing. We see that it can be playing skillfully. And the teenagers love the last part there, with a loud noise. You like that part, don't you? I want you to think about this. What is it to rejoice? He says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing is to experience joy and gladness in high degree. When I think of the, the prefix there, re, to, to rejoice, to joy again, to think about the things that God has done for you. And in the same joy that you had the day that you got saved, to joy again in the fact that you're still saved. And, and, and to know that the God that saved you is still God. He's still the same person. He hasn't changed in His character. We can rejoice in the Lord. Now, it's a good thing it doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. Why? Because sometimes those aren't fun. Sometimes circumstances hurt. And sometimes they hurt very deeply. The Bible says, in everything give thanks to the Lord, right? Not for everything give thanks, but in everything, in every situation. And I know that there is... A, a vast spectrum of circumstances that we're all in this morning. Some of you are in just the best place you could be in life. All right? Raise your hand if that's you. Okay. Yeah, a couple of you. Good. Good. Everybody else look at them and go. <laughs> Some of you are in a very difficult time in life. But in no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, 
you and I, as a righteous person, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we can rejoice in the Lord. So it says here to rejoice. It, it says here to praise Him. And again, we think of praise as singing. You know, you got uh, today in Christianity, you have praise bands, you know, like, and somehow it becomes this emotional thing is my praise. Well, Hebrews 13 in verse 15 says, Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. You know what most praise is? God, thank you. Thank you. And we looked at it in Sunday school. We looked in Sunday school at two enemies of, of effective ministry in a local church. And we find in Philippians, the, the Holy Spirit there uh, gives us, do all things without murmurings and disputings. This is the complete opposite of the murmuring. It's me giving thanks. And the Bible calls that the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So you have praise and you have rejoicing and you have this giving of thanks to God. And it does involve singing. Look at verse 3. Sing unto Him. God wants you and I to sing unto Him. Now you say, well, the people around me, don't, they don't really want me to sing. <laughs> well, that's okay. They're not God. God wants you to sing unto Him. And you know what's so funny? You, you always have the people. I mean, there are enough people in this room. I guarantee you there are people that, that you're, you're pretty timid about singing. I found out in New York City that everybody wants to be a star. Um, my brother told me, you'll have to watch out for it. it, it he said, just watch. You'll, you'll see different people that entertain. You know, they sing and stuff on the subway. And um, we rode the subway through the week. My wife and I, we called that uh, building our immune system. That was immunity building that we did. Um, but on the subway, we were going from Times Square to Grand Central Station, and it was a shuttle. It was one of the, the shortest uh, subways um, in, in uh, New York City. It uh, was the S. It was just a shuttle. And it was about 60 seconds long. And we got in there, and there was this girl. And I didn't even see who she was, but I could just hear her voice. And she says, I want to thank you all for stopping by today. And my name is such and such. And I just hope that my song is an encouragement and a help to you. And I'm like, oh, here it goes. She starts going, lean on me when you're not strong. And she starts singing this. I'm going, first of all, I can't stand that song. <laughs> Secondly, I mean, she thought she was it. You know, I mean, I, how Broadway never picked her up, I have no idea, you know. And what's really funny is uh, I told uh, Debbie and Emily, she took this really interesting key change at the end of the song that I don't think you're supposed to take, you know. It ended up, am I friend? I'm like, oh, Please get us off of this. <laughs> it was interesting. We were uh, getting ready to get on the Staten Island Ferry, and uh, that was an interesting experience. We go into the terminal there, and I mean, it looks like a huge airport terminal, and there's like Bay Door 1, Bay Door 2, and Bay Door 3. And I called my brother, because uh, he had been with us, and he wasn't there at this point, and I said, Matt, when you get on the Staten Island Ferry, because it was, it was like hundreds and hundreds of people. And it's, it's free. It's, it's a free uh, ferry for, to and from Staten Island. So, you know, a lot of people there use it for the public transportation. And it was just a glob, big blob of people. And I called him. I go, do we just all, like, rush onto this thing? There's no line. He goes, yeah, you just pretty much get on. And so that was Shauna's favorite part. She loves being pushed and shoved. And so she loved the Staten Island ferry. You're going in like this. <laughs> You know, next to people in New York City. And you just hear them behind you. <laughs> no, we didn't hear too much of that. But that again was immunity building. You know, I am ready for the school year. All right. 
bring it on, guys. But in, on the, as we were getting ready to get on the stat line, I fairly, there was some lady in there, and she's singing like this operatic type deal, and it just uh, it was interesting. They were, these people were singing. You might, however, not be that. You might be much more timid to sing in front of people. But you know, there's, it's always kind of interesting to me how you you know you get that same person, you get them to a ball game, and they they can get a little Star Spangled Banner out. Oh, say you because know, you you know you love your country and you're patriotic or. Some of you go to an Ohio State game or you're sitting there on your couch and you go, Oh, hi, oh, you know, at the end of the alma mater there, you're doing your OH and all that. You know, God wants you to sing unto him and it doesn't have to necessarily be on key. Now, if we have you up here leading, we'd like for you to be on key. We'll try to work on that. But when, when you're just in singing to the Lord, he just wants to hear it. You know what? You know what that takes? That takes some of us just kind of getting over ourselves and saying, you know what, God, I'm just going to embarrass myself a little bit, but I just got to thank you. So I'm going to sing, sing unto the Lord. Look at this, sing unto the Lord a new song. You know, as I, as I read that, I thought, you know, a lot of times we think about, okay, so it's got to be a song from, you know, 2015. Um, You know, I wonder if for some of you teenagers, if you picked up the hymnal and just kind of thumbed through some of those, if there are some that might be new to you. I heard somewhere the other day, uh, just listening to it, is Rock of Ages. And I think, man, we ought to sing, we need to sing that song. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin a double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. For some of you, it might be just going and digging through some old hymns and saying, well, what did these guys write? And just reading through that and that being a new song for you, though it was written a couple hundred years ago. It might be a new song that whereby you see the greatness of God and, and you see uh, a good uh, doctrine of salvation. And you say, man, I just, that's a good song. Wow, well, praise God with that. So singing to him a new song. And it might be a new song that was written in 2015. You know, the, the song the ladies just sang this morning is a newer song. Singing to him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. You know, um, let me encourage, challenge you young people. Do you have those talents and abilities? Develop them for the Lord. That can be your praise to God. And maybe some of you are out there. I found out, Justin and Amanda in here, they work in the ministry down there. Yeah, I think Amanda just, she just volunteered herself for full-time piano playing, okay, after last week. I heard that went really well with her and Jacob. That's great. We're going to work them in. She doesn't know that yet, but... um. All right, so we've seen the, the scripture. Let's go back to verse one. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. This word "comely" it's, uh, it has two primary definitions, and, and the definition is basically given to you based on the context. The first definition of "comely," and it's used this way in the Bible, is it's applied to a person or fo- form, uh, or when it's applied to a person or form, it denotes symmetry or due proportion. Um, it was actually that which the body of Jesus lacked. In Isaiah fifty-three, the Bible says he had no no form nor comeliness. And it has to do with this idea of beauty or pretty or fair. And that, that's one way that it's applied. The second way is the way that we find it in our text this morning. Praise is comely for the upright. In our text, what it means, it's that second definition. It means decent, suitable, proper. It's, it's becoming. It's fitting. It's suited to time, place, and circumstances or persons. So what the scripture tells us this morning is for the righteous. And let me just spend a minute here. It says the upright and the righteous. We know... 
from the New Testament, we understand that a righteous... That the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there are none that seeketh after God. So who is this talking about? Well, those who have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we get that by faith. Jesus Christ is God. He's perfect. He's sinless. He lived a perfect life. He obeyed God. He obeyed the word of God to every jot and tittle, as the Bible says. And so the Bible says there was no sin in him. When Pilate went to try and find a reason to have Jesus Christ crucified, he says, I find no fault in him at all. They couldn't find fault with him. And yet the Jews cried out, crucify him, crucify him, because the only thing he did was declare that he is God. So when he died on that cross, he shed his perfect, sinless blood for you and for me. The Bible says, for there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. I have to tell you, it was very sad this week. We got to go to St. Patrick's uh, Cathedral and then St. John the Divine's uh, church there. In New York City, uh, St. John the Divine, it's always been, apparently it's like always under construction, so they call it St. John the Never Finished. <laughs> but, you know, in St. Patrick's Cathedral, we, we walked in there and... Um, there was a service going on. We, were, we had gotten in there just maybe 10 minutes after 12, after noon. And they had the candles there. And you could pay $2 to light a candle and, and have God hear your prayer. And there were other you know, things that you could pray to. And I, we were walking along the side and the, the priest was up there and he was talking. And I had to turn back to Shauna and say, did he just say what I think he did? And this priest, out of his mouth came these words. Mary, the mother of God, Mary gave her body and blood for her son, Jesus Christ. And, and I, I looked back at Sean and I said, did, he, did you hear that? And I thought of all these people that are sitting there in those, in those pews. And some of you, now maybe you are a Catholic in here this morning. And, and I, I just want you to know, the Bible says there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. It is Jesus Christ that gave His body and His blood shed for you on that cross. And He was buried, and three days later, He rose from the dead to show and to prove that He is God. And you know what? Salvation is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And that's the message we have for, from the Word of God this morning. And listen, I, I, obviously, you guys know, we don't say that to be hateful to Catholics. In the same way that a doctor is not going to tell you you have cancer to be hateful just to tell you that. It's the truth, and we want you to know the truth this morning. We love you, and Jesus Christ died for you. He gave His body and blood, and we know that from the Scriptures. So, salvation, this righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that He, who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, that He became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And you guys have seen it. We talked about this illustration. If this is me and I, this is sin and I'm covered up in it, that Jesus Christ, He who knew no sin, was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so this morning, if you have placed your faith and trust, not, not have you joined a church, not have you been baptized or given money in the offering, but if you have by faith, ask Christ to save you, trusting in His finished work, then you're righteous. And you're upright. And the Bible here says that it is comely for you to give praise to God. It is comely for you to rejoice in the Lord. So I want us to see this. Let me make this statement. It is always fitting for a believer to rejoice in the Lord. It's always fitting. Uh, Spurgeon said it this way. 
Praise is never out of fashion. It's never out of season. And it's never out of date. It's always the right time to praise the Lord. Um, I think about this. We went to Brooklyn. Uh, You guys know Pastor Jeff Faggart there with the Harvest Baptist Church in North Carolina. They have the Baptist History Preservation Society. They they, uh, erected a a memorial just outside of 6th Avenue Baptist Church there in Brooklyn where Robert Lowry was the pastor in the 1860s. And Robert Lowry helped uh, put the tune to music in our hymns such as Christ Arose. A couple of people in his church wrote the the lyrics to the words to Christ Arose. Well, there was one other uh, hymn that we're familiar with that he wrote the tune to. Isaac Watts uh, is credited with writing the words. And it's this. We're marching to Zion. And the second verse says this. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. But children of the heavenly king, but children of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad, may speak their joys abroad. I'm like, man, he, that sounds kind of offensive, you know? If you got up, imagine getting up in church today saying, okay, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, please don't sing today. Like, wow. And these guys put it in a hymn. You know what they were calling? They, they, they wanted people who were not believers to say, well, well, well why am, what's going on here? What do these people have that I don't? Why am I excluded? Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. But you know what? Do you want to know our God? We'll tell you all about Him. We want you to be able to sing to Him. But if you're not righteous, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have nothing to sing about. Oh, you have some stuff to sing about that's really lame and makes the top 40 billboard charts, but you don't really have anything to sing about. We want you to have something to sing about. And that's what he says. Let, but children of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad. So this is what I want to look at. Verse number one. Let's read it again. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. It's always the right time to rejoice in the Lord. But sometimes you may not feel like it's the right time. Sometimes you may be hurting. Sometimes you may be uh, kind of floundering in your faith. And I wonder if there are some reasons that the Lord goes on to give us. And he does. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Three reasons to rejoice in the Lord. Three reasons that you can rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse number one. or Sorry, verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord, for the word of the Lord is right. For the word of the Lord is right. You know, I asked earlier this morning, you know, uh, how many of you, you're, you're, you're having that bad time in your life? And don't raise your hand here, but some of you, you may be in that deep, dark time. You may be in that time of uncertainty. You may be in that time where uh, you're not sure how God's going to provide a certain thing or a certain answer. You, you just don't know. You can know this. This word has not changed. And it's right. It's right. The scripture says in Psalm 19, it says the word, the statutes of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart. Look at it with me, if you would. Look at Psalm 19. I want you to see this. We're here in the in Psalms. Look at Psalm 19. And verse 8. Describing here in this passage the different things that the word of the Lord is. Well, verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right. What? Rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. You and I can know that when you base your faith on this book, it's right. God's not going to disappoint you. God's word will not f- be found to be void. He says, I, I sent forth my word. It will not return unto me void. It, it's right. So what God says about marriage, what God says about the family, what he says about salvation, what he says about finances, what he says about uh, how to raise your family and, and, and all of these things, whatever God's word says, it's right. 
It's right and it's not going to change. You will not destroy your life by heeding what God says. You're not going to destroy your life by heeding what God says. You know how you're going to destroy your life? By not heeding what God says. And going about your own way, doing your own thing. John Phillips says this, The world today has lost its moorings. We have cast the ship of state adrift upon the tides of time without sail, anchor, rudder, chart, or compass. We have abandoned the objective standards of morality taught in the Ten Commandments, and as a result, people are bewildered. We do live in a day and age in which it's almost like people are just, they're out of their minds. And you know what? They've lost this compass. They've lost God's roadmap, or they never had it. God's Word is right. So that's something that we can praise the Lord for. And we know that these words, the Bible says that God will keep them, that He'll preserve them from this generation forever. God will keep these words. So it's right. That's something that we can rejoice in the Lord for. The second thing, if you would look back with me at Psalm 33. We can rejoice that the word of the Lord is right. And then we can rejoice in the character of the Lord. We can rejoice in His word. We can rejoice in... Because of his character. Look at verse number four. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. You see, God's word is right because of who he is, his character. The Bible says that there, there's something that is impossible for God to do. This is interesting. So the next time you know you get asked, well, is there anything God can't do? Yeah, there's something that the Bible says clearly that God cannot do. It's interesting, isn't it? He can't he cannot do this. You say, well, he's infinite, he can do anything, right? God cannot do lie. It says in Hebrews, God cannot lie. Why? Because of who he is, his nature, his character. It would violate his very being for him to lie. So you can know that his word is right. And then his works, they're all done in truth. It says here, he loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So you see, we notice some things about his character, that his works are done in truth. The scripture says in Deuteronomy 32, he is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. And you know, I can't think of uh, a person in the Bible that had to take this by faith more than Job. Because Job literally lost everything. And the one person... And his life and his family that he didn't lose with his wife, and she turned her back on God, said, why don't you curse God and die? Job lost everything. And the Bible says he didn't charge God foolishly. He never said, God, you're not right in allowing this to happen. He never charged God with that. And sometimes there are circumstances that come into our lives that can shake up our faith. And you say, well, if God is so great, if God is so good, why did He allow this to happen? And sometimes we just have to run to these verses and say, God, I don't know why. It hurts, and I don't like it. But I know that there is not an ounce of this that is outside of your control, and you're good, and you're right, and what you do is perfect. His works are done in truth. He loves righteousness. Psalm eleven seven says, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. Psalm 45 says, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. God is a God that loves righteousness. So in our lives, do we reflect that character? Is that what we love? And uh, the last couple of weeks, listening to pastors' messages, and with what's going on in our culture, and just realizing that people are condemning the righteous and exalting the wicked. 
And we're living in a day and age in which good is called bad and bad is called good. And God says, I'm a God that I love righteousness. And that's what we ought to love. And then he loves judgment. God loves seeing that what is done is right and he will execute judgment on the wicked. Then let, also, he is, the earth, the Bible says, is full of his goodness. The earth is full of his goodness. Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And you think, well, I mean, there's a lot of evil going on in this world. Where, where's the goodness of God? It's interesting. Matthew 4, 5 says this, For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, just the very fact that we have air to breathe, that, that, that the sun comes up in the morning and that the rains come, God says, I, I rain on the evil and the good. Why? Because of my goodness. And you can see it every day. You can see it every day. The Romans 2 says about the goodness of God, it says, don't you know that the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance? God's goodness, as we, as we see it, it, it ought to want us to, to love God more and, and, and repent of sin. So we are called here in this psalm to rejoice in the Lord. And we see that we can do that, verse number 4, because of the word of the Lord. We can see because of His character. He, he loves righteousness and judgment and the earth is full of His goodness. But what about this, the power of the Lord? He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he tells us a little bit about his power. Look with me, if you would, at verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. You know what, you know what type of power God has? He has the power to create. God has the power to create. What did he create? The heavens. The heavens. Go with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. While we were in New York City this uh, past week, we uh, made it over to the Museum of Natural History. And probably one of the, the, the most sad things for me about the Museum of Natural History is they just completely removed God from any of it. And we got to see this, this new um, movie that they have produced in, in their planetarium called The Dark Universe. And basically, scientists can't explain why the universe is held together, what's kind of holding it all together. And so they talk about dark matter. And, and in their presentation, it doesn't start with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. It doesn't start with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It starts with, in the beginning, we don't know exactly how far long ago it was. It was a really long time ago, but everything exploded. And it's still expanding. And it was just sad to think that so much time and energy had been put into something. And it, when you see the angle from which they view creation, they don't have a God let me say this, they have a God, but they're unable to worship the God that we know created us. And they're unable to give thanks and praise to the God that made all of this. And they're searching for answers. And much like Bill Nye, apart from Jesus Christ, they will never find what they're looking for because it is in Jesus Christ. Um, so look at Isaiah chapter 40, if you would, in verse number 21. The scripture here says, have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? 
Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? This is so interesting to me. God says, can't you look at the foundations of the earth and know this? Can't you see it? But they refuse to see it. Verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. For hundreds and hundreds of years, they thought the world was flat. Right? And, and they debated that and they disputed it. And God says, uh, earth, it's a circle. I sit upon it. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. And then it says this of God, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Um, how many of you have been to the Creation Museum and you've seen their planetarium uh, presentation there? And it just is mind-boggling how big the universe is. And they, they have that uh, simulation where they go out by a scale to the power of 10. And, and you're just going out and out and out and out and out and out. And, out. And, 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 and there are galaxies and there are stars and there are other... It's just, it's so big. Ah, it hurts. It's so big. And yet the Bible says that God stretches it out like a curtain. That many of you, you have that type of curtain at home. You just, you just draw the curtain over it. And, and with one arm, you can just close off a window. And God says, I'm going to take the entire universe and stretch it out. That's our God. That's the creator. It, it says it here. In, and then he goes on. Not only does he stretch out the heavens, but look at this. Verse 23. That uh, bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Look down at verse 25. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One. And we know God has no equal. He is God and Him alone. And Satan messed up when he thought he would be higher than the Most High. No, he wanted to be like the Most High. Satan knows there's nobody higher than God. He wanted to be like Him, not above Him. Interesting. There's none equal to God. Verse 26, Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that calleth out their host by number? The scientists, they look at the stars, they look at the galaxies, they look at everything that's out there, and they say, it's innumerable. God says, line up, rank and file, I know every number of them. Look at what else he says. We have, you know, we have, we have names like Andromeda, you know, this star out here, it's like G3719. You know, there are so many, we can't number them all. Look at what God says. That bringeth out their host by number, he calleth them all. By their names. How does he do that? By the greatness of his might. Our God is so great. He knows every moon, sun, star, galaxy, meteorite. He's got a name for all of it. And you know what? You as a person here on this planet. Pastor preached about it last week. Psalm 139. He knows your name. He knows your down sitting, your uprising. He understands your thought afar off. God knows you, and He loves you, and He desires for you and I to rejoice in Him. He wants you to give praise to Him. He wants you to thank Him for the greatness and the power of His might. He calls out that host. He numbers them by the greatness of His might. And the Scripture says in verse number 26, For that He is strong in power, not one faileth. Oh man, what a great God we have. He has the power to create. It says in Isaiah 42.5, Isaiah 44.24, 51.13, and then Psalm 104. Those four other places, the Bible says He stretches out the heavens. Stretches them out. But you know what? God not only has the power to stretch them out, 
He has the power when He's ready to roll them up as a scroll, to change them. The Bible says of these heavens and, and this earth, as a vesture, it'll be changed. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21 there. It says that. It says in uh, Job 9.8, Which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades in the chambers of the south. These scientists, they see the constellations. They, they see it all there. And God says, Have you not known? Have you not known? Have you not heard that I am God? Which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Jeremiah says this, he hath made the earth by His power. He hath established the world by His wisdom and has stretched out the heavens by His discretion. You know what those scientists see? They see design. They see order. They see planets spinning in orbits and the, the earth hangs on nothing. And God told us that. And they say, what are all these forces? And God says, I did it all by my discretion. There are certain laws in the universe that I've built in and this is the way it's going. Interesting. Isaiah 34, 4 says this, though, And all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. And all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falleth from off the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. In Psalm 102, it says, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. We have a God that is so powerful not only can he stretch out the heavens, he can roll it up as a scroll, change it all, and make it new. That's the God that we get to rejoice in. Look with me, if you would, back at our text in Psalm 33. We see that God, he has this power, he has the power to create, he also has the power to command. He has the power to command. Verse 6 By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Verse 7, He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. This is interesting. I'll just give this to you very quickly. If you're a numbers person, you'll love it. If not, you can go to sleep for this 20 seconds. The seas, uh, the U.S. Geological Survey is estimating that there's about 326 million cubic miles of water on earth. One cubic foot of water is about roughly just a little under seven and a half gallons. It weighs 62 pounds. That's pretty heavy. One cubic mile has 147 billion cubic feet in it. All right. So you kind of think about all the water, all the cubic miles of water and the weight of that. A cubic mile of water is just over nine trillion pounds. So it would take, and I had to call Ty yesterday, because this is a number on my calculator I didn't even understand. <laughs> I understand the, to the power of 10. This was one I thought, oh, is it an error? <laughs> it would take 2.97506E21. It would take that much lifting power to lift all the water on earth. And God says, I made it. And I can command it and move it. Look at Job 38 with me. We're right here, just the book right before Psalm. So Ty tried to explain to me that it was uh, 2.97. You just move the decimal place over 21 places. 
That's a big number. It's pretty much almost, that's almost as much as I can lift. Um, Job 38. Job 38 and verse 8. The scripture here says, uh, actually, God asks him this question in verse 6. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud and garment thereof and a thick darkness a swaddling band for it and break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come and no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. God says, you know those oceans? I can move that water. I can set doors and say, hitherto you can come and no further. Think about all that water pressure. And God says He can move it. He created it. He can lift it. He can make it disappear. That is our God. He's a very powerful, powerful God. He's almighty, as the Bible says. But notice this. If you would, look back with me at Psalm 33. Because, yeah, God, He can create. He can, he can do all of these things uh, and, and make all of these elements and, and, and galaxies and stars. But notice this, too. God not only can command, but He has the power to make His counsel stand. Look at verse number 10. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. God says, you know what? I'm powerful enough to create that much water, put it where I want it. I can flood the world if I want and leave six people left alive because they got into a boat by faith. Eight people, sorry. Eight people. Animals by twosies. Noah, Noah. All right, I love that song. God says, I have the power to do all that, but I have the power to make this word stand. Fight against it. Try to dispute it. Try to snuff this out and watch me bring your counsel to nothing. Let's look at just one illustration of this. And there's so many throughout the Bible because God's given them to us. But notice with me, we're here in Psalm 33. Look over if you would, just one more Psalm. Go to Psalm 34. Go to Psalm 34. And let's do this. Get Psalm 34 and get Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. We know so many times in the Psalms that it's, it's prophetic of Jesus Christ. And this is one of those prophecies. In Psalm 34, in verse number 20, the Scripture says this, He keepeth all His bones, not one of them is broken. He keepeth all His bones, not one of them is broken. Well, if you look in Exodus chapter 12, in verse 46, when the Lord gave instructions for the Passover, we know that the Passover was a, a, a perfect picture of Jesus Christ. And in here, in the instructions of the Passover, I want you to notice this. In, in verse 46, the Lord says, In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. So in the Passover, to uh, make this picture of Christ, God says, don't break a bone of it. So there are some other things that we could look at today. We won't take the time to do that. But we know that this is prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are certain things uh, that uh, you and I may be able to control in our life, but most likely how we die and the manner in which we die is not going to be one of them. And the Lord Jesus Christ, as He hung on the cross, I want you to notice this. Look with me, if you would, at John chapter 19. Because we're about to see God make His counsel stand. 
Because there were men, there were soldiers that were around Jesus Christ that had certain ideas, certain devices in their heart, and they were about to perform those, and God overrode them. And uh, we'll see how God did that. Look at John chapter 19 in verse number 31. John 19, 31. The Scripture says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So imagine here, the Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified. He has given up the ghost. They have beaten Him. They have whipped Him. They have hung Him on that cross. And the, the, uh, uh, from my understanding and research, when they would hang those people on a cross, the two thieves that were there with Him, there, there was some type of platform or a way basically for them, maybe even through the pressure of the nails through their feet, for them to lift themselves up and be able to catch a breath of air. And basically, the crucifixion was a, a horrible way. to, to One way that people would die is to suffocate. Because of the way that you're hanging, you can't get the air that you need. And so these two, the, 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 sometimes it would take too long for whoever they were crucifying to die. So you guys know they would break their legs. So they, they couldn't lift themselves up anymore. And it would speed up the process. And the scripture here says that Pilate said... Break their legs, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first. You see, these soldiers, they were trained, they understood, they knew exactly what to do, and the instruments that they had, they were able to break the legs of the first. And the other, which was crucified with him. They went to the other one, broke his legs. But when they came to Jesus, notice what it says. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. God says, you may sit there and Pilate, you have a lot of power and you can command these soldiers. And, and in such a, this is such a, an interesting detail, but it's just a smidgen of time after time after time after time that God has said something in his word and it came to pass. And God says, I keep his bones. And in that moment of time, God proved himself true. He proved himself righteous. And, it, and it's such to us, it might seem so small, so insignificant. Jesus was already dead. What does it matter? Because God had said it wasn't going to happen. And he kept his bones from being broken. What has God promised you? What has God promised me? This book is full of, of words from the Lord. And God says every bit of it. I can keep every jot and every tittle. And it doesn't matter if there is the power of the Roman army behind going and trying to break this man's legs. I'll be sure to it that it doesn't happen. That's the God that we get to rejoice in. Verse 34 says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe and these things were done that the scripture might, should, should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, and we didn't get to look at this one, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. Amazing God keeping his word. So my question to you this morning is, do you have reason to rejoice? If you're a believer, man, it's appropriate, it's suitable, it's never out of season for you and I to rejoice in the Lord. And... Paul and Silas were sitting in that jail cell being persecuted for preaching the gospel. And the Holy Spirit uses him to write to the Philippians in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice.
there really isn't any circumstance that should come our way that should keep us from rejoicing in the Lord. It might hurt. It might deter us a little bit. But when we get our eyes back on the Lord, we always have reason to rejoice in Him. But listen, you may be here this morning and you don't have that song to sing. You're not, you, don't, you don't have the Holy Spirit of God because you never by faith have asked Christ to save you. You know, we would love to take a Bible this morning and show you how you can have that song, how you can have that praise for God, and how you can miss out on being separated from God for all eternity. We'd love to take and show you. Lord, thank you so much for your grace.